Welcome to the Feral Minds Podcast. You are right where you need to be, and we are glad you're here. Come seek with us as we laugh at what we have known and find direction from what our curiosities demand we learn. All right, all right, all right. Welcome to parenting and all that that implies. Today's episode, we're going to go over one of the rides that I feel has the highest highs, the lowest lows, the most powerful joy, the most deepest of sorrows that you could ever imagine going through. And we're going to try to be as emotionally intelligent and insightful as we go across this between the two of us as we can. But in case we leave any gaps in that area, we have brought in today a special guest that is a double PhD in advanced applied parenting. That's a good way to put that. Our guest is Callie Perez. I know Callie from softball, and I've had the opportunity to coach her two young ladies for, it's been a short time, maybe three months. These are special girls, and it's been an interesting journey for me because I didn't know the entire story. And I got to know the girls before I knew their story, and so now I get their story as I know of their character, which is uh, it's, it, it connects a lot of dots for me. I've coached a lot of girls over five years of, of coaching, and I, I've not really felt the level of motivation that, that I feel with your two daughters, uh, Hartland and Everly. They are unique in their drive. Uh, their drive is fierce. It is the days when they don't feel good, they still want to be on the field. And a lot of girls look for reasons to get off the field. And your girls are pushing into the field. They're pushing into life is what I've noticed. They seem to have a zest for life. That's notable because your two daughters were born conjoined. And today we're going to walk through that story. We're going we're to try to parallel it into some of our parenting experiences. You have the Ph.D. <laughs> I was thinking a black belt. You have a black belt, and he and I are purple belts that at any point in time could get slapped down to white belts. <laughs> we, we disqualified ourselves as decent parents, I think, on a regular, but we're candid about it. And That's part of the fun of the ride. It, it is. And, and you said parenting is a theme park. You buy your tickets, and you're so excited to get in there. And then you get in there, and and it's a long journey, and you might get a tasty freeze along the way. You might be on the verge of getting kicked out of the park a few times. It's a ride that you have to learn to enjoy. We're excited to have you here, Callie. Thank you. I would like to just give you a minute to tell us a little bit about your story. Well, I have eight-year-old twin girls, Hartland and Everly, and I also just have a new baby. She's seven months old, so we welcomed her into our little family, but I have quite a unique start as to becoming a mother. I feel like my experience is nothing like I nothing like I planned my life going at that age and I'm happy to to share our story. I feel like it's relatable for parents and really anybody that's been through a hard time. I feel like some parts of my story are relatable. I want to share that and just be available to help people along their journey and what that looks like for them. That's why I love sharing our story. I also, where I can come in and relate to a little bit is, I know it's been a long journey for you to get here, but just the fact that you're in this world, Little League, (laughs) where we put these kids in and we find out these things we're talking about with the personality. 
There's nowhere else that you can find out what your child's going to do on a stage until you start putting them on these stages. Little League has that opportunity to be a place where, just like you said, it brings out this wonderful aspect of our youth in, in various ways. And we all love to see that so much that I start to see now, even in myself, how parents will destroy that beautiful activity because they're so caught up in their children, their love for them, their ego thrown into their kids' performance that I've seen myself out there on the field when my child was pitching and had seen all sorts of bad parenting come from myself. To me, in Little League, it's like a powder keg of parental egos that are on hyperdrive because their loved ones are out on the field competing. An extension of their loin. You're watching an extension of yourself, and you've already fully been through a 12-step on, on Little League. Uh, Callie and I are still walking down that road. I know, and I feel sorry for some of the journey I see in those young parents. So, this is our second season. Yeah. Well, in this season. We may have a long road. This season, in the context of this parenting, you and I lived through an event. It was this yes. week we lived through an event that in five years of coaching and another 13 years of organized league play, I've never seen in my life. That event involved parental poor judgment, parental selfishness, uh, an inability to understand context of a game and he, who we're here to support. And in this game, we had an altercation between parents. And it escalated into what I would say was on the cusp of a riot. Mm-hmm. It was in Agreed. The, it was in the back of a park. The environment was very unstable. We gathered all the girls into the dugout, and, and I felt they were very well protected. The parents were all around them. The parents in the stands that initiated the conflict, we'll never really understand what exactly happened. To be honest with you, I've debated whether or not I even, they even needed to give it any more energy. It feels like a real dark spot on a really good place. What I see with T-ball, I see the girl that day one, she doesn't want to walk on the field. Day one, mom is holding her hand or bribing her with a Coke just to get her on the field. And then I can see three, four months later, that girl's getting base hits. A girl's hit a home run. She's high-fiving her friends. It is this incredible opportunity, almost like a rocket ship designed for confidence. It happens in a short time frame. That opportunity is always there when you put a task in front of a child and give them some instruction, allow them to grow through the resistance of the task. But there are times when parents lose perspective. In all my time around the game of baseball and now softball, I have never been that emotionally torn on how do we keep that from happening again? Do we even need to? It was an isolated anomaly. But we lived it. And what we well, lived... And I want to say, too, like I've lived it as well to a different degree. You say isolated event. I disagree. <laughs> I think that every single time that those kids step on the field, that the parents in the crowd have the potential to flare up and have that sort of an incident. I, I mean a physical altercation. Because almost every single one of the ones I was at, there was verbal altercations. It's a regular thing in a Little League game. You are not going to go watch these kids play on the field and not hear parents trying to mama bear, papa bear, 
whatever it is within them that feels justified to say this about somebody who's out there just trying to help their child. But we've seen it happen. It's a percentage. And I feel like it's always, it's always it's on the verge. It's a percentage, though. You guys just bumped a little further on the, that ledge. I, I would disagree. I think there's a vast majority of the parents are out there on good behavior. It may, this may just be 80-20 all over again. There may be a small selection that we're talking about emotional maturity. If you can't watch your child play a game that's designed for their growth that has no financial outcome. Right. But what about and, the and college scouts that, what, are, in the, that are in the crowd <laughs> right. watching your eight-year-old play? It's a perspective of now. <laughs> you got to have a perspective of now. What am I doing here? And in this game, the game was 9-2. to two. We, we were getting hung out to dry. The team mm-hmm. was much better than us. It's, there was absolutely nothing to fight for. But when we're talking about parenting and we're talking about— Well, you're acting about, like a win is worth fighting for. There's nothing out there to fight that's a good for point. anyway. That's a great point. But what I'm saying is all the catalysts, that, like a close game, mm-hmm. a cl- there is a certain amount of animosity anytime you get two teams together, regardless of the age. All we're doing is a little symbolism of war. Hmm. I'm going to war with you. You're going to war with me. You might be in the cavalry. You might be in the front line. However you think about yourself in those stands— you think I'm rooting for my side of this war. When it gets to this level, like you, I've been around it a lot. I've seen it get close, and then I've seen it come back down. And, but I've never seen it escalate into blows, and blows where five or ten people are involved. You're a little fresh at the softball. What was your experience as you reflect on that night, Kelly? I'm competitive just the same as most people and want the best for the girls, but I think that what I saw was – just a missed opportunity for showing good sportsmanship. I work hard just unlike I'm sure most people, rational people do, right? They want to instill sportsmanship and they want to instill that winning isn't everything and you give it your best shot. That's what's important. And to have that incident happen and these young girls like right in front of them, they were closing their ears and they were crying and they were just distraught. I mean, as anybody Not should have been. I all, mean, all of them. All of right. them reacted almost exactly the same. And that was that was to kind of cradle themselves. You can't go into a fetal position when you're sitting on a dugout bench. Right. But if you can imagine, that's where they were trying to go. They were trying to crawl back into the comfort of their mom. As adults, we do the best we can in those moments to try not to throw fuel in the fire. And you have to step out there and, and try to figure out what words exactly are qualified for this moment or capable of, of de-escalation. Mm-hmm. How do I keep from going out there and throwing lighter fluid on an existing fire? And finally, it simmered down, but then it went to the parking lot, and there was the a round lot. two. And right. it's a sad thing to see parents losing their perspective like that. I think the saddest part of it all is that these two girls who were asked to leave on our team suffered because of the actions of their parents. <laughs> and I just don't know that I could live with myself if I knew that I caused something so unforgivable in a sense that it took away some joy that my child had. And they were progressing. They were learning. They were hitting the ball. And these are new players. And I just felt like what a missed opportunity because they have, like you said, in that short amount of the two or three months, getting out there and having confidence and hitting the ball and getting on base. As a parent, I would be just so upset within myself because I let Whatever interaction happened between either I don't even know what happened. We, I don't. We, we, we will I never know. I don't know what what incident took place for that particular family. Come unglued. I 
took that kind of as an opportunity when I got home um, to, to ask the girls, what part of that scared you? Everly said the, the fighting, the seeing people together. Now, I don't think that my girls saw any of the bats being brought out. There was mace. I don't think that they saw the physicality of it. I think they just saw this group of people, like you said, like a riot. At the end of it, there was probably 30 to 40 people in that parking lot. At home, I just said, what about that? And when she answered, just the group of people just coming together, and she didn't know why everyone was yelling and stuff like that. And I said, you know what? But you were safe. We made sure that you were safe, and we exited the park. We exited into the parking lot, into our car, and we left. And when things scare you like that, you know, you don't have to, you can be scared. That's fine. That's a normal reaction. But you don't have to panic. Mm -hmm. That's what I don't want from them because I, <laughs> I've panicked in things that made me fearful, panic attacks and all of that. And taking a step back and saying, okay, I'm scared, but how am I going to address this situation? Use I can, this to propel or right, motivate. I can either get into a ball and cry or I can, okay, what do I need to do? I need to get out of the park and I I need to go home, you know. Assess <laughs> so the fear and make well, your decision. We, we did stop and get some ice cream. I felt like oh, they make it feel better. I, I let mm. them have ice cream for yeah. dinner that night. That was real <laughs> PhD right there, ice mom cream, of the year. Ice cream helps, but I think that nothing helps as much as something you said you did there where you gave them the opportunity to express their emotions mm -hmm. uh, about that situation. I feel too often, and I don't know how many parents walked away from that, but went home and were still so caught up in themselves like what they went through, why they were so mad. I wonder how many of them actually sat down, got eye to eye in a loving voice and asked their child how they felt about what they just saw. Because those children need that opportunity to say. And, and, it, and it's frustrating, right? Because I feel like anytime my children are in a vulnerable situation, that it takes a lot out of me, just in my personality, to just let it go. My husband will be the first one to tell you, I really have to kind of step back and he has to help me do that sometimes because I just want to jump in, not to the level that those families did. When you just see something so innocent as a softball game and they just think they're playing in the World Series or, mm -hmm. you know, there's some cash prize involved. Like or, there's a battle being played. I in mean, front of. um, sure, I love to win. I love to watch the girls win. I love seeing how excited they get when they win, but gosh, it was just it was a nightmare. And so I'm so glad that um, our team handled it the way that it was handled. And our coaches have invested so much time in our girls and that we can take this experience and say, hey, this happened, but let's, let's not let it ruin our love for the game. So I think that's important to, to teach the girls as well as that was just a bad incident, yeah. but... Yeah, and that's perfect. That's a whole lot of why you're here as the expert. There is, mm -hmm. there is no one here who could do a better job at putting winning in perspective as the way it goes to life than someone who's been through the journey you had just to get your girls there to that little league field. Right. And so you being there and what you went through to get there puts a, a much more beautiful place to tell the rest of us why <laughs> we don't know what we're even doing out here. So let's talk a little bit more about your journey. Take us back to wh wherever you'd like to start your story. T tell us okay. about your journey. Sure. So I got pregnant and was so excited. David and I were just really thrilled. I pregnancy been, should be a beautiful yes, time. Yes. And I was told that it would be difficult for me to become pregnant even. So just just having that test be positive was just like I was over the moon. These are first children, pregnancy. I, okay. Yes. Okay. Now, when I went, they didn't see two babies. 
they just saw one little baby and we heard one little heartbeat. Mm-hmm. I did not know I was pregnant with twins for another month. So I remember going in and David and my mom were with me and I remember the the tech asking, so how you've been feeling? I said, man, I've never been pregnant before, but I feel so sick. I feel just like so physically sick. So you're talking pain or no, nausea? No, I'm talking like nausea. Like, like just, it's oh, going to come out of you. Right, like all the time. And she kind of laughed when she put the screen on and kind of started going over my tummy. And she was like, well, I know why you're that sick. It's because there's two babies in there. And I, I don't, I think I laughed because I've always wanted, I just thought it would be funny to have multiple kids at, even from a young age. And so just having twins, it was like such a shock, right? Well, I you mean, had an interesting thing, I think, with names. Oh, yes. Yeah, one okay. of the exciting parts of pregnancy is picking names. Yes. <laughs> and so when I was 12, I was going to have triplets, and they were going to be named April, May, and June. And I, that's that, fantastic. That's, so just me having twins was pretty funny. But that was at 14 weeks. And then we went in, and my mom and my stepmom and I, we started planning a gender reveal because we're so excited. We sent out invitations, plan the food, all of this. And we go in to find out the gender at 18 weeks and the text she just stood up and she just said I'm having a hard time finding the gender and then walked out and I you know all these thoughts start mm. coming through your head like what does that mean how how do what do you mean you can't tell me the gender to, of my... so to that point is is your intuition flaring I up I was at already all? crying okay okay I was crying when she was doing the ultrasound because she just seemed quiet and my mother-in-law my husband my stepmom and my mom, it was all of us. It was always a family affair at any of these appointments. I remember looking at my mom with tears in my eyes as she's doing the ultrasound and just saying, Mom, just something's, she's not talking. And she said, Callie, like they're just doing their job. She's just doing their job, her job. But I, I just felt like something was off, I guess. That's when she popped up and said, I, I can't find the gender. And she just left. She brings a doctor in and he goes, well, there's a complication your twins are conjoined. With that sort of delivery or was there any? No, there wasn't like a building up to that moment. Okay. There just wasn't. It was just real out there. Statistical is what Uh, it is. Yes. It was very dry. It was very like here's your number. Here's your number. Here's what here's your number. Here's your situation. Right. And it was just like no warmth. I feel like that's such gosh, I find medical professionals, doctors, whatever, to be super knowledgeable. So I'm going to take what they have to say, and I'm going to I'm going to almost hold that to the truth. I mean, hey, you've had this much experience. You probably know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But gosh, that was hard to hear because I I just we all lost it. I mean, I, I don't remember like exactly what my our moms were doing. But David just just like me, we we just lost it. I mean, we were given this news of of potentially and probably not being able to bring our twins into the world. So they told you in that room the probability you had in that moment? What he did say was that he had seen this in 20, in his 20 years, he's seen this one other time, and they did not survive past 25 weeks in utero. And that's that's where he left it. Yeah, and so I hear what's happened there is a, a... a, a doctor, a medical professional, the only person you can go to to get any information about this life growing inside you 
has just come to you and told you it's going to die in 25 weeks. I, I, nobody on this planet wants to be told whenever their children are going to die. Right. And especially when it's still inside of you. Mm-hmm. And whenever you start, for myself, breaking back why somebody would come and deliver that sort of a message to someone with absolutely no emotional care for it, I find that there has to be money on the back end getting in the way. And these insurance companies seem to drive those deciding factors. It's just more easy to shut down a life inside of a person than it is to bring it into this world and watch it blossom. Right. And I know you had to deal with that a little bit. As this starts to come up, there becomes an abortion question. Right. Um, that, that did, that did come up and I don't know that he, he didn't really push the issue, but he did bring it up. And I feel like when you're given that kind of news, um, you can push it one way or another. Well, he it, could it, it, come in there with, there's a chance. Right. Which, uh, when I hear there's a chance, that means in some time it will happen. Regardless. There's a big difference between zero chance and point zero 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 one percent Right. There's a, that's where the biggest difference well, is. It, it, the power, and you can the push power that of the thought. The power of thought is, I mean, doctors are well aware of placebo. They know how this works. The power of thought is, is we don't even understand how strong the power of thought is. So I wonder in those moments, because I know medical professionals in my existence that are they're very giving people, but I, I think when you're in a job at a long time and it's another Tuesday and you're, you're waiting for the Bears to play that night and you're just you're going through the motions, it's almost like if that's how a doctor's going to handle it, it's time to bring in a social worker or a psychologist to deliver the message in an appropriate manner, the idea that you would just eliminate all hope by rattling off a number to somebody right. is I don't know if that if that if that ripples through the healthcare industry. I don't know if you had an isolated I don't know if he was fighting his wife. You know? Yeah. Who who knows? But it, it it's interesting to me that caregivers can be so, so statistically driven and at times forget about the heartbeat that they are there to serve. And I don't think that I don't think it's nefarious. I think it's human. I think it's human that we can we can get into roles where we just get through the motion and we forget there are humans on the other end of whatever we're communicating. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to to give the doctor that gave you that message a, a golden star by any means, but I it's it's just weird. And if there are medical professionals listening, maybe perhaps this gives them some inflection point that you, you really want to make sure that you're fueling positive thought, no matter what the stats say. Because the stats are just a, that, that's mathematics on the past. Mm-hmm. The stats have nothing to do with the future. That, right. that is us looking to the past to try to really compensate for our faith in the future. And I, I, I don't know, we all want it. And in your story, you talk about you kept going to the internet mm-hmm. to tell you what this meant. Right. Tell me my it's a odds. scary place to go. Oh, no doubt. So take us back to, to you got the message. On the way home, I was laying in the back seat, crying uncontrollably. And I feel like when I got home is when I really started Googling. It didn't take long. And I remember thinking, okay, Callie, if we can, if we can get, so I was 18 weeks at that point. If we can get to 25 weeks, that was my goal. My goal was to get to 25 weeks because... That's that. That's what he told me, right? Is mm-hmm. that he had never seen it, and I was going. I wanted to get to that that point. So your goal at that point is to resist 
the apple or, or the label that he's handed you. Right. To, to divide the odds is right. what you're here for. Right. And I remember calling my original OB. The only reason I went to that the specialist for twins, I was going to keep my regular OB. But because I was having twins, I got referred across the street, actually, at a perinatal um, clinic. And and it wasn't because they were conjoined. They didn't know that at the time until that doctor had told me. It was just for the simple fact that I'm having twins and he specializes in twins. But I remember calling my original OB in Norman and just her telling me that babies are viable at 24 weeks. I want to transfer you to OU Children's at 24 weeks. I was like, okay, I'm going to make it to 24 weeks. I still wanted to prove him wrong. But I made it to the 24 weeks and went to, to OU Children's, and that's when I established care there with the potential surgeons we would have, the doctors, the nurses, and all of that. So. It sounds like you got to a place where people were uh, more geared towards making this a success oh, as right. opposed to just playing the odds. Right. And it definitely feels like your previous 24-week doctor was playing odds, not yes. playing life. And when the, a surgeon came in, he's the pediatric surgeon. He came in with my new OB who initially I, she walks in and I thought, she's probably 10 years younger than me. How is... That's going to happen all of us at some point. I mean, you know, I just, I just thought, how is she going to handle this? I bet she's never even seen conjoined twins. Yeah. Not many people have. But I remember the, the surgeon sitting right beside me and kind of doing the ultrasound. And I remember him saying very quietly, not even to my family, not to myself, but kind of to himself, he said, I can do this. And I kid you not, that was like, I got chills just now from saying that because that was the first time outside of my family being positive and us being hopeful that a medical professional had given me any kind of indication like, Okay. You have a chance. Like, you, we can do this. You um, want Dumb and Dumber there in I that mean, situation. <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's the doctor you want in your corner. But I was still hesitant. And I was just in a mood. I was just so distraught. I mean, I was not in a good place. And I remember saying, what about this is good? I mean, I've said that out loud to him, right? <laughs> Always a good said, question to ask yourself. What about this is good? I have conjoined twins. I've read the 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 statistics I've seen. And it was just kind of from there that I was like switching switching my my mentality. I had always hoped that we would bring our kids into the world and that they would they would survive. But I wasn't very it's just a delicate line. I just I still had that fear of like, okay. I can't imagine waiting twenty four weeks to just twenty four weeks of they've already told me this is not gonna end well. That that just what a harrowing time mm -hmm. to need to get through, but every minute will only give you a minute, and it takes 60 of those to make an hour. Like, it, how do you get through 24 weeks of— My mom would brush my hair for me. My mom would make me eat. I'm real big on validation, and I, I wanted that from, from my family because I was just suffering from depression and anxiety and panic— disorder my entire life this was not <laughs> this was not a good hand of cards for me Lord. for anybody this is going to be a difficult situation you add in my mental illnesses with it and and what have you it really put me in a place where i would wake up 
crying in the middle of the night, just a severe depression. The hardest thing that I think that, no, I don't think, I know that I've ever been through. And I was physically getting ill. I had to, I had to have appointments every week. So I would go to children's every week for ultrasounds for them to say, okay, they're not sharing this. We still don't know what they're sharing, but they're not sharing their heart. They're not sharing their lungs. They have, they each have two arms. They each have two legs. But it was still never like, okay, what's what are they actually sharing? Mm-hmm. I would physically throw up every appointment because my anxiety was just, am I going to go to this appointment and am I going to hear two heartbeats? And that was just my life. And that's stacked on top of not even knowing if you were going to get to that point. Right. It's like, congratulations, your journey's because been I hard. I wasn't get feeling harder. them yet. Mm. I couldn't feel them kick. I couldn't. There was there was nothing physically going on in my body that that would help me get through the day. Like, okay, I still feel them kicking. Mm. I would every appointment, and then so for that brief brief time, maybe the rest of that day, I heard their heartbeat today, and that's that's kind of where I was at for, gosh, you know, the remainder of my pregnancy, and just having the 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 test, the scans, just to try to get a better understanding. To put this in perspective, I don't know that I told you all this, but since the 1980s, there have been three sets of conjoined twins born. In 40 years, give or take? Something like that. I'm, yeah, because wow. I'm if I'm almost, doing math right. So. I, the 40s, yes. I was born in the 80s. So there, is, there was a set that is maybe a year younger than me, and then not a successful set born since 2009. Wow. Um, and then my girls were born in two, 2015. I can feel that uniqueness in their presence now. Like, I mean, it's an incredible drive that they have, and it, it makes sense to me. Like, they're, they, they're fighters. That's why they're here. Oh, and, no doubt. Yeah, and it's to think that you had to be a fighter first. Your faith, your will, it had to be there. Even in those days when it, it took your mama brushing your hair, mm-hmm. you, there was still enough of you to move the football forward. And you kept moving the football forward. And I think that is just such an echo of parenting is you do get knocked down a lot. You get frustrated. You get humbled. But you just, with whatever bit of percentage of you that didn't quit, you just keep inching forward and inching forward. And you have a book. The book's called Entwine. Mm -hmm. And I was reading the book, and, and this is really a story of parenting in so many directions. You have four parents. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so unique in its nature. It's so unique in a world where traditionally a divorce means That's it. game over. Game over. Yeah, I don't even want to know where your address is, let right. alone see your face. Mm-hmm. Tell us about how your parents chose and navigated divorce a little bit differently. Oh, man. I talk about it in my book that they they should be writing a book about co-parenting <laughs> because – Gosh, they have blessed my life and my family. Um, sorry, see now I, you got the tissues. We brought you so, tissues. Hey, yeah, I got a box prepared. right here, right here. Well, I brought them for Trace, but I, <laughs> I figured you can use them as well. My parents divorced when I was two years old, and I was the only child from that that marriage. And they could have cut ties. I mean, you know, I, I mean, outside of me dropping off, picking up. Right, they could have ran things. and see who got stuck with you. Right, right. But it was never, never like that. My my dad eventually married my stepmom when I was young. I think I was, you know, I mean, I was real young. Um, and her and my mom became friends. And I and I tell people that, and it's just kind of like, what? And 
when I got married, my dad made sure, which I was already going to do, right? But my dad made sure that my stepdad was going to walk me down the aisle with him. So I had both. When I went and got my wedding dress, my stepmom and my mom were there. When the twins, and that's another story, but we all lived in a two-bedroom apartment, all four of my parents, my husband and the girls and me, when they were in Texas for a, a big surgery. So just having that that support just throughout my life and then with having this pregnancy and having these girls that I don't I'm not quite sure how I would have made it through <laughs> with without that I just feel like well they say God doesn't give us anything we can't handle right. and you were you were given the perfect situation to handle something here that come up with a pregnancy yeah what I would say is abnormal is what we try to say but that's there's no such thing as a normal pregnancy mm-hmm. like a pregnancy is an abnormal thing and has its own uniqueness right and I think that's interesting as you go through yours how you see all along the way you had exactly what you needed to take the next step regardless of how much more difficult steps might have been right I think like you said I just kind of inched forward I felt like some days that's all I could do was just get through that moment in time get through that negative thought maybe i'd have a breather in between and i could wait an hour before i would google again i was just so obsessive about it Mm. that i kind of just had to sometimes take a step back and and just say i can't let the internet or these doctors give me statistics that are unique to me they may give there might be statistics on what has happened in the past but I'm not in the past. I'm right now. I'm the future. My my kids are going to be born in the future. Not They weren't born yesterday. <laughs> you can't yeah. give me statistics on something that hasn't happened yet. Not in my situation, anyway. And, and that mentality that you bring, too, is another powerful resource that has gotten to a point you went through this difficult journey to get your twins playing Little League. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get back to we're at the 25 weeks. We've switched doctors. We're in a much happier place. You've got a group of people around you now that have a leader saying, I can do this. Right. So at at every appointment, like I said, it was, gosh, what specialty are we even going to need? We didn't even know because we didn't know what they shared. Mm -hmm. But I just, we just went every week. That was our normal, normal thing. So what did the week look like when you found out what they share? Whenever Uh, this share journey came to an end? Well, that was when they were born. Oh. Yeah, we just never. <laughs> Six months later, I know. It's a we just we just never knew. God, so much uncertainty. In there. I know, and and th- I don't do good in uncertainty. Well, I, I, I disagree mean, with but, that. I, th- I think I think <laughs> maybe you don't. Maybe maybe you don't, don't get to make it through this hard journey. Yeah, and say you can't. maybe now. <laughs> but looking a, back, I was like, man, this is not a good time but, for someone but like you. You were there, and you made it. And I I felt that a little bit when I was reading your book that. that that maybe there were some moments you weren't proud of. But what I wanted to tell you was that there's going to be moments we're not proud of. That's just the nature of, of who we are. We're, we're going to have moments where thoughts that we sometimes can't control. Like you're, you're reaching for some form of faith or reassurance, and stats are not going to give it to you. Mm-hmm. And if, if you would have succumbed to the stats, then perhaps your twins are not here. I'm not entirely sure you understand how strong you have been mm-hmm. because you're in the vessel. 
and you're flying the plane. And, and me and Tracer are on the outside going like, Jimmy Christmas. Yeah, we're a long way from my understanding. My kid had RSV once, and I could barely hold myself together. And they I had think... to poke the pin on when he was jaundiced, just taking blood from his foot, and it would bring tears to my eyes. Say... What you went through is an emotional power that a, a man on this world cannot <laughs> understand. With my youngest, she, she had jaundice and had to have her heel scraped. And... I didn't like that because I don't like seeing any of my kids in pain. But I remember one of the guys that did it, he said, man, you handled that really well. And I said, man, if you only knew. <laughs> um, that doesn't mean that I'm just okay with my kids getting hurt or being uncomfortable or sad yeah. or what have you. But I also have to take a step back because my our journey is so unique that when there's other kiddos, like you said, like your kid had, had RSV or when I see my friend's kid, oh, man. You know, you're really distraught over a cold or what yeah. have you. Well, everyone's journey is I'm their like, hard journey to them. And and I've and it's taken me a long time to not a long time, but you know, it's taken me some time and some self reflection of like, but it's hard for you and you haven't had this journey that I've had. So I had to appreciate the fact that, you know Your perspective's a lot larger. Hey, at least these people care that my kid has I, I, RSV I, yeah, or it, a cold or what have you. Even within my own family, there's been some times that a kid, I'm like, they they had this little little procedure that took 30 seconds, and you're just like bawling. Can you imagine being in a 10, 11 hour surgery with both of your kids in different operating rooms? And you this know, is so, a multiple one, and you've got more coming. Right. <laughs> and, I mean, so and all these times, you're you're thinking, is today the day? Is mm-hmm. today the day that it ends? Right. And, and I, I think that you and the twins, and and also your parental set up. It's almost like you had a parental, just a loving boundary all around you. It, it's it's curious to me that it almost seems like all these things were aligned for some great thing to happen. Mm-hmm. You needed more than one set of parents. You needed four. Why? Because you had a big event coming and you didn't know it. And I'm That's sure they didn't know it in two or three. Because I, I did joke in my book that I needed just, just as a as a kid needing four parents to parent me, but I think you're exactly right. Like I, I had this big event and I needed something from each of my parents, something that they brought into my life and that they brought into my kid's life and to, and just the support that they had. So I've never really thought about that. What yeah, you, you just did, said, you, the, the economized standard dollar general parenting set wouldn't work for your situation because your situation was designed to have much more emotion. And, and I wonder, also, your girls, have they been designed to navigate something that is well beyond what an eight-year-old would navigate in a normal life? So I wonder that, that emotional resilience that's building within them, when they are 18 or 20, 20 when it's time for them to go face the world, they're going to have these powers emotionally because they've had a, an ability to develop under duress that the rest of us haven't. When I read your story and I see extra parents, and the extra parents were needed to to help you birth these children and then care for them, this is all building to some great purpose for your daughters. And I almost admire you now to be able to sit back and go like, man, I got something special here. And what will this become? Mm-hmm. That's almost ex- that's that's exciting to me to think about that. And it's. When I look at your journey, it's hard for us. You know, we just show up. We're talking to you on a podcast. Right? I've known you for a couple months. It's hard for us to internalize what you've been through. But I think 
I believe it's all for a purpose. And it feels like your daughter's purpose is building to something large. And you can see that from the path it's required. Well, or can you? How has your reflecting changed throughout this? Like, it seems I can imagine early on you first get the news, depths of despair. But after you get the bad news multiple times, mm-hmm. how, how does that start? Once you've beaten the odds at 25 weeks, beaten the odds at connection, beaten the odds at separation, how does that change over time? Do you start to get accepting and see a purpose to it? I think that what I want for our story and what I hope that the girls grow up to want to do is to share that story. Because, like I, I've said, is that it's it's a unique journey. And not many people are going to be able to re- relate specifically to having conjoined twins or being a conjoined, a former con- formerly conjoined twin. But the resilience that they've shown, just just what they've had to overcome, learning how to walk again after a major surgery, just them showing, to be able to be on a softball field, um, you know, these are things that I didn't, at, at one point, didn't think that I would get to see. Yeah. I, will I get to see a first birthday? Will I get to see them go to school? So I, I just feel like that's what I want to share with people is that I came from a pretty dark <laughs> place initially with that, with that news. But as time progressed and we kept moving forward, like you said, just even if it, even if the days where my mom was brushing my hair or just, I still got through it. The girl still got through it. And, and I think that's what, what I want to share. Most. Yeah. Sometimes we don't give ourselves credit for the bad days, but the bad days are not as bad. Uh, the, the negativity gets the forefront. But there's still good in, in the days, even when you're having bad days. There's still progress in those days. It sometimes just doesn't feel like it. So let's, let's go back to the timeline on your story. So we left off at 25 weeks. Now we've been given some hope. Right. And where do we go from here? So having the, the C-section date scheduled was just like, okay, they're, they're getting to the point where okay, it's viable. Like we can, we can start planning. Are you growing confident or? I mean, half and half. Okay. When I started feeling them and kicking and, and moving around, but gosh, it was still like, when does this, when, see, I, I'm still talking like them, when does this end? So I don't know that I've fully just been able to just go on faith strictly and not, not have those negative thoughts. Mm-hmm. I think it's just what we do with those negative thoughts. So, because I remember I, praying like, if you're going to take them, take them now, because I, mm-hmm. I don't think I, I can get to where I will be accepting of anything but a happy ending for my for our story. So we were still going to the appointments, but like I said, the C-section was, was being scheduled. And I made it. So the C-section was scheduled for 36 weeks. I went into labor the day before my... My C-section was scheduled. Is that good or bad? Well, you got close. You know, they they practiced. They were super prepared. Everybody. I mean, I'm still running into people at different medical places that, oh, I was at OU as an intern or what have you. Like, I know I know who your twins are. You know, everyone was on board. Everyone was. The maintenance workers were building beds specifically somebody went down to Texas to get something that my babies potentially may have needed. I mean, everybody. So it takes a village. I'm, that's a very Just literal to bring your statement birth. in my like, case. They say to raise a child, but for you, it took a village oh, to, to birth. Yes. And so I, I went in that night and we were a go for having our 
our baby's on July 6th and not July 7th. One thing I wanted to ask you is, is as you get to these certain places, these markers of time, does the stress continue to grow and grow, or do you at some point in time, are you able to catch a breath and go, okay, we made it this far. I'm going to start thinking this has got a shot. Or in, in every moment of thinking it's got a shot, there's vulnerability and that it might not. I think that I started to kind of accept that, okay, I might have, I might be able to, we might be able to bring our kids home. I wish that I could say that I was just completely sure. I was not that mom. I wish that I could have had that, that mindset of just taking the pregnancy and being grateful for that particular day. And I was sometimes, but it wasn't a hundred percent. I, there were some days that were better than others, and then. But more shades of difficult to accept. Right. There was no part of it that was enthusiastic the, yeah, that right. you could find a whole. I, I did not allow myself to just take a break from the mental aspect of it until after they were born. Once I got into the labor and delivery room, my body I passed out several times. And I feel like it was just, okay, Callie, you, you've got them here and you did your part. And now it's up to the medical professionals and God really mm-hmm. to I let them survive or not. I did what I could. And at that point, it was going to be out of my hands. So I think that's when I finally was like, okay. This is like, all there is. There ain't no more. And put this in God's hands in yeah, faith. I felt like my family was with me the whole time. But as the person growing them, I just, you know, it's a different feeling, I guess. So let's go back to the Dead Sea section. They're born. Right. Then there's a surprise there as well, right? Mm-hmm. We didn't know if they were boys or girls. They know they were boys or girls. And you expected them to be in one shape, but they right. were not. So that the way, the way that they were conjoined was like in an X shape. Okay. Okay. Laying on top of each other face to face. Like facing each that's, other. That's from the ultrasound, right? right? That's right. what we think is going to happen. And, and that's why they couldn't see their anatomy and couldn't tell us if they were boys or girls because of that. Now, when they were born, I remember David had already, he was over there with the, with the twins. And I remember them willing them by me. And in the little incubator, they were laying side by side. They weren't on top of each other anymore. And I just remember being... And that kind of mindset, like, how did that happen? You know, how I know that that's good because they each were able to get air easily and anesthesia if need be or what have you. But I just couldn't process why that was good because I was like caught up in the, you know, you got just enough consciousness to get some good moves. I just (laughs) knew that whatever happened was good because they were laying side by side. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. A little reassurance after that. That's wonderful. mm -hmm. And I remember that. My husband went up there and I, he was able to FaceTime me because they don't let you until you can walk. You can't. And I was very insistent on walking and being able to get up so that I could see our kids. And I remember him saying, the nurses think that they're girls, but they're not quite sure, but we think they're girls. So, yeah. You ran that with went. that. Yeah. Yeah. We had uh, four, na- four names picked out for middle and first names and for boys or girls. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. And like I said, I'm a name person. So can you imagine somebody like like me, a name person who takes six months to name their pet, not being able to know for certainty what my children's name Well, like you said, you had to come up. How many is that? Eight names? Yes. Two, four first, four last. Yes. <laughs> but that's 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 wonderful, though, that we're joking about that because that's a, that's a part – I, again, like they talk about of a normal pregnancy, right. and I just want to throw that out the door. But some things you'll get to do that are common, commonalities right. Right. is really what we need to look at. And, and being able to come up with a name and have that yeah, joy, just that's, the, that's the, good you have the, that commonality. Yeah, the normal the, Normal's the out. normal There's chain no normal. of events did not happen in my pregnancy. <laughs> they don't do it in anybody. Yeah. If you honestly look at it, like it's not a situation right. that has a normal of anything. Right. Yeah, and she keeps getting, you get one hill after the other. It's like it, it, when your calves have been burning for six months because you've just been walking up this vertical trajectory mm-hmm. and you were and, lucky if it leveled out to yeah, before you used to went up again. everything becomes right, another hill yeah and right. so tell us about their separation surgery and the and the surprise that was there so they were born on within two days is when their separation surgery was scheduled i hadn't been discharged from the hospital yet but it was a kind of a life or death matter at that point so my husband and i we we're like, okay, this is where we're at. It's a little bit sooner. What was the original plan? How much time? One to two months, I believe. Okay. So mm-hmm. I'm still in pain, still just like the emotion just of it all. Caught up in the just having children, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's you a know? tough enough activity. Right. And then yeah. you throw in right. all your new. Yeah. And so they, they, we had our families. They brought lawn chairs. We like overcrowded family, friends, every everybody that. We love came and supported us, prayed with them and, and things like that. But David and I did not wait with with them in that waiting room. David and I had our own little room where it was just him and him and me and the nurse would call with updates every hour. This is we, while they're in surgery? Yes. Okay. This is their separation surgery. Which by the way, they still don't know what they share. I mean, we didn't learn until after. Okay. Till they cut um, in. The extent of it all, I guess. Okay. I mean, okay. they 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 did some testing in between times, but we didn't know. Maybe they knew what they shared, but we didn't know what that meant for for them. What that meant for us, as as well as to take care of them. So, three hours had passed. We're getting these calls from the nurse every hour, and we didn't get a call at the fourth hour. The doctor, the surgeon, the one that I had said at, at the beginning of our little chat was. I got this. I can do this. Mm -hmm. Catherine, I can do this. He walks in on the fourth hour. You're thinking, like, this is going to take hours, right? You see this on TV sometimes. Like, it's 16, 17 hours, whatever. No. So he walks in. I'm completely caught off guard, I guess. And I just thought, this is it. He's coming in to personally tell us that they didn't make it. And I just, I don't even know. I can't even tell you what I was feeling at that moment. He sat down in the chair by a window or something, and he just he said, "It's done. They're they're separated and they're doing well." And I just all the emotions. Just David and I were just. I don't even. I mean, it was just like the best news at that point because I went from thinking he was coming in to telling us that they didn't survive to here they are. It only lasted four hours and. They're good. Well, it's like I talked about when we started. It's a ride. And the ride you just went to went to the deepest depths of despair that anybody could imagine. 
And yeah, when you come back out of that, whenever hope starts flooding mm-hmm. into your existence right. in that magnitude, like that can be a wonderful feeling, descending, depending on what side of that you want to sit on. Right. It's interesting the characters that show up in, in your existence when, you, when you're going through hardship like this. And, and you've got a contrast between Dr. No Good, who mm-hmm. told you, hey. Gosh, I should have called him that in my book. Odds are, that's odds, that's odds good are stuff. Not, <laughs> odds are not great. I'm sure he was a great doctor. True. Maybe he's having a bad day. Maybe he was just old and jaded. I, or I maybe he's jaded I, by I, the I insurance. Don't, I don't know. And the easiest thing he knows to do is that insurance is going to pay me to eliminate uh, this pregnancy uh, as opposed uh, to bringing it into this world. Let's assume there's no conspiratorial option there for a doctor to go, <laughs> hey, I'm going to trash this lady's day. But but then the, the good doctor comes along. And, you, and, and the guy that says, I can do it, is also the guy that hands you that great little bit of, of uh, info when they're separated and they're doing well. And it's... It's amazing to me how the cast of characters will come into somebody's life, both for good and bad. Mm-hmm. And and the people that you don't know that are going to help you in the future, that will show up right when you need them. Right. And, and your story has a lot of that, from your parents to that younger surgeon to the town of McLeod and how they helped you with, mm-hmm. was it furniture they built or how, how did? The, the maintenance guys did the the bed and everything and then my it's Macomb it's a very small oh, town it's, it's probably smaller than Macomb I'm so sorry I, you know what I'm McClouded all over you Macomb I, I've never heard of Macomb until you I city met my people don't appreciate small town names <laughs> oh I just don't like letters that much man. right these words are hard sometimes man. but they they did fundraisers for us and it was amazing because it allowed David to be home with us. And not and us not have to worry about the time that he would have to take off or what have you. So it and a few years later when we had to to do the, the other major surgery, it helped pay for this this apartment and things like that. Just the outpour, like you said, like all these people that you like just come into your story and play this particular part in this story and what what they give you. It's just incredible to think like like I had said, meeting people to this day at different. Even the doctors for me, like, oh, I, I knew. And when I had my youngest, going back to that same, same at Children's, because I was am older, I had to go to that special special clinic. <laughs> we're, we're all a little special. There's no reason to deny it. Just because you're not normal. Like, so, what is normal? So, I know, the normal pregnancy yeah. thing drives me crazy. <laughs> Meeting, you know, coming back, and and I was so out of it that, this doctor walked in with this pregnancy last year and just was like, oh, I was there when your twins were born. And and she saw them because the girls were at that ultrasound and they walked in as seven-year-old girls and were able to be like, here here we are. So that's always cool because... Oh, every time you oh, walk in a room with those girls, imagine. it's a more magical I moment. Can, I can imagine from what, what you've been be through. Like. Yeah. And yeah. so, okay, so let's go back to the story. So they're, they're separated now. Um, were, were you living... Are you living in Oklahoma City or Dallas at that point? I when they were separated. Yeah, this is right after the pregnancy. There's during yes, the separation. Yes. So we live. Yeah, yeah. They were. It was at Children's that they did the separation surgery. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. So they were born home and separated within 19 days. I think when you think about what your journey will look like if they do survive, you're anticipating months, right? Yeah in some years maybe mm-hmm. in some kind of specialty care and that wasn't it they were like here's your healthy girls this is how you 
do all these different these these things have have a good life. I mean, not not in any rudeness, but like, yeah. here's, nope. here's your here's your kid. That's, uh, here's congratulations. Your That's one of the, the things about a parent. You will get handed your child at a moment you have no idea what to <laughs> right. do. No matter how it got to that point, you're going to walk out of there with no, right. nobody starts off parenting knowing anything. Oh, no. That's part of the fun. <laughs> Learn you got to you go. mess up a little bit. Yeah. You if go. you knew where that ride was going to go, yeah. you wouldn't hop on it. <laughs> oh, man. Hartland said something yesterday at the grocery store. I can't remember what happened, but she said, that's bad parenting right there. Whoa. I don't even remember what it was. But see, that's the personality <laughs> that you talk about is they're just spicy. They yeah. got this. They're just little sput fires sometimes, yeah. you know. I, I wonder what they can't do. Oh. Like, I, I mean, you could tell me they're about to learn how to fly and I'd be like, oh, oh well, OK. Sounds maybe. about right. Yeah, it's just <laughs> when they mature into that adolescence era or it, it may be into their early 20s. It's going to be really fun to watch to see how they how how do they care to tackle the world? How do mm-hmm. they care to change the world? And there's been a lot of energy to bring them here. So I can't believe that's not for a reason. Right. So it'll be fun to watch. Back to the story. So now we're we have is it two and a half years until the next until surgery? their next next surgery. Um, so life is somewhat is it normal? It can't yeah. be normal. How would you I phrase mean, it? I mean, it's it's our normal and our daily life. At that point, are you getting to where for those two and a half years, you aren't in complete concern? Is there some hope throughout that? Or is it, is there a reprieve in that two and a half years? Or is it just more? I knew that they were going to live. So I was, that's that's where I was at. Mm. I think when you have kiddos that have any kind of difference, it's easy for a parent that, that might not have these differences within their children to man, is this how it's going to be? Or, you know, whatever they may say. And I was offended. <laughs> I will put people in their place real quick um, because when I don't pre- want that pity. I don't want that pity as a parent. I don't want that pity on my girls. I just don't because this is our life and this is this is what they're going to manage their entire life. And you're not going to judge to, it. To, they're judging judge, it. Or you're not going to assume that they're not going to have fulfilling lives because they will. Because I'll make sure of it, and they'll make sure of it. Their dad will make sure of it. We want every opportunity for them, and that's just where David and I are at. Is is we are going to provide every opportunity for our girls, and David says it all the time. Is he just wants to put them in the best possible position to succeed, no matter what that is. He tells them that all the time. So that was my reprieve. Is I know that they're going to live. They are going to have these surgeries, but. There's no life or death question anymore. Mm-hmm. There's there's not that uncertainty. It's not a the question of if, it's a question of is why. still there because what does the future hold for anybody? Mm-hmm. But the uncertainty about being able to have them in our home with us that wasn't that wasn't a question anymore. So two and a half years go by. There's another surgery involved. Right. Right. One of the surgeons, so there's four that separated them, and him and his partner went down to Fort Worth to help open up a clinic down there. So we followed him because it wasn't the surgeon that told me we got this, but we loved all of them. But this just happened to be who we had to follow for their specialty care. So we're like, you go, we go where you go. So <laughs> we made it work. We we got the apartment and things like that. So you still had a house in Midwest City. Right. Now, now you mm-hmm. get an apartment in Fort Worth. Right. And now the the bonus parents come back into play again. Yep. It was all of us. Can you imagine being in an environment um, 
for a typical, you know, I'm in my 30s and my mom and dad are in the same place. My stepdad and my stepmom are in the same place. And we're just chilling in this two-bedroom apartment, going out to dinner, doing all the things. But see, people like, you're going to think like, oh, that's just so great that they did it. But man, that's been my whole life. Mm-hmm. My my stepmom and mom would get each other Christmas gifts. That's just how I was brought up. So to me, yes, it was great because of what happened with this pregnancy and with having these girls. But I just knew that's how it was going to be. I, I didn't expect anything less than than us all being there. But Not only did you have a little bit bigger village, you had some uh, better components in yours. Right. I mean, <laughs> you it, were equipped with the they right didn't, people. They didn't have to force getting along, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They already got along. It wasn't like, we're going to do this for our, fan, like our, our daughter and our granddaughters. It wasn't forced by them. I think that that's to anybody who co-parents. I can tell you as a 37-year-old adult that how you co-parent with your children is so important because it extends past the time they're 18. It plays such a big part in any kind of thing that your child is going to go through. So that I'm goes just throwing into development. It shows, it shows how you love peace. them. Yeah. When I see kids that, that, are, that have to navigate a divorce, sometimes one parent steps out of the fray. Mm-hmm. And, and nothing tells people you don't love them more than not showing right. up. Right. And so continuing to show up a child's life, no matter whether you say the right thing or the wrong thing or lose your temper, you, you got to show up and you got to give them awareness. And for your parents to already have that bedrock of we're not going to fight, we're not bickering, we're, yep. you know, this, this is not an alimony discussion. Mm-mm. This is a discussion about life. And you already had, you had a great base to build off right. of there. Right. So, but I'm still imagining how many adults now in this two bedroom apartment? I mean, you're living, <laughs> you're living a little tight. Yeah. My stepdad would, and my stepmom were both working. They would, they would be there when they weren't working, but my stepdad is a pilot, so he was going back and forth. And I had three younger siblings at home as well. The constants were my dad and my mom, and then my stepmom was there when she wasn't working. So somebody was always there. We had Thanksgiving at that together, which is still not abnormal. But we, we got to do that there, and it just – it was a little tight. Somebody slept in the living room or what have you, but – we made it work. Well, what's funny is you probably have really cool memories about that time frame, too. Yeah. And it always seems like when we go into a moment, I have a buddy now who had to move in with his in-laws. And you look at it and you go, man, I know that that feels like it's bunk. But I promise you there's going to yeah. be some cool thing about that window of your life where grandma made pancakes right. every Saturday morning. Yeah. Or there's always something beautiful to find in every moment and in every bit of hardship. Mm-hmm. And so, so you live in the apartment for how long? Two and a half months. Okay. And the surgery is, it's building to that or there's recovery time in that as right. well? Okay. So we go down there. I remember we went down there on David and I's anniversary. Coming up this month is when we would have moved when they were two and a half in October. So oh. we go down there and check in. I mean, it was all within a few days. I think they had their, their like their pre-surgery visit, their consult or what have you, just a few days after we got down there. And then surgery was... Actually, you know what? It was October 17th, I believe. So, yeah, real quick. It was real quick. Their surgery was a three over three days. The first day, Heartland went in. The second day, they were both in the OR at the same time. And the third day was just Everly's day in the OR. There was a day that, that they both were each going in. And it was 
hours. It was much longer than their separation surgery. Like, How did you get 10, through that hours. time? I played cards. I think I played phase 10 um, during that, that when they were in the hospital. I think it was a different thought process then that, yes, your kids are in, un, under anesthesia. They're going to be in pain when they come out. Their pelvises were broken. They were in there. They're called fixators. They look real awful. They were immobile for... Their pelvises were broken as part of the right. procedure. Yeah. It was necessary. They, they, they was necessary. What, these have, they like screw in? They, the they were, mm-hmm. yeah, they were like in there. Yes. Everything kind of get rearranged and to kind of fix it where it holds everything back together again. So they weren't able to, to move. They gave us six weeks, but I, we were all adamant about changing the dressings when we needed to and I was we were real on it so they were actually able to get them off at five weeks which was great it was still a long time um well good job mom but, you, uh, you made it happen <laughs> we, we we worked hard and during this time Heartland would not I remember she would not take any pain medication she actually while my husband and my stepmom were at we would take shifts my mom and I I would go because because that support was so there as a as a mom, even when they were in the NICU, we all took shifts. I went home and slept because somebody was always between my mom and stepmom. David and I were able to go to go home and sleep and we all took shifts throughout the night. Someone was there and the same when they were in we were in Fort Worth as somebody was always there. And so I, I remember my mom and I were sleeping and. David tells me that Heartland had pulled the the catheter where her pain medication was coming through, and they could never regulate. They could never. She was in so much pain from that from from it coming loose that even after we brought her home, for some reason she just wouldn't even take Tylenol and Rochin or anything like that. She just somehow her body had figured she, out how to deal with that. She pain. just handled it That's somehow. Intense. But we went home in December. They have to learn to walk again. Right. They could not. Um, they could not. They started taking steps with us holding them while we were still at the apartment. Heartland was able to walk, I think, toward the end of December. But Everly took a little bit longer. Now she never stops running. <laughs> Ever. She's always on go. Yeah, it's bananas. <laughs> but but bless her. She, she took... She took a little bit longer. But I was going to ask you, do, do they, as they're having to learn to walk again, or do they complain or do they just no. get up and do it? There's a video of them taking their first step and they're giving each other high fives at two and a half. And I'll share that with you sometime. It's just, if you know them, if you, if, and you've met them, if you just can see this, these snippets of their life, of what it was like and what they've overcame and just accomplished. accomplished. I hear accomplishment. Yes. They must have an overwhelming sense of accomplishment I mean, in eight, nine-year-old girls that just isn't normal. It's <laughs> just they they have such an opportunity ahead of them to just show the world, and that's that's what I want. And to they know. kind of work as a now. This is just my observation on the field. They they kind of work as a unit. I've noticed their eyes are always on each other. Mm-hmm. They're always kind of aware of where each other. Where they are and what they're doing, and if if something bad happens at the plate, I kind of watch. How it's the it's other one interesting react. to watch. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's interesting to watch how the other one will try to bring the other one up. Mm-hmm. But what I notice more than anything is they seem to almost resonate off of each other. 
And it's it's like they – I don't know if this is a common twin thing or if it's just because of the resilience they had to develop to get to this point. Mm-hmm. But it almost looks like they, at times, are kind of checking on themselves. And that's been real interesting for me to watch. Like, And, again, I'm watching all this not knowing they're conjoined. <laughs> yeah. Just going like, oh, that's a twin thing. And, <laughs> boy, these sure are fiery girls. And then the day you tell me they're conjoined, I'm like – well, now I know. Now, now I, I'd been noticing that pattern that just there's yeah. a little something different. Here. And then when you told me that, it, it just dawned on me, of course, yep. they're watching each other. That's how they've survived yep. is by watching each other. I call Everly the mother hen. She, You know, like at, after softball games, when they need to line up and high five the other team, Everly will not line up until Heartland gets there. It doesn't matter <laughs> if she's been there for two minutes. She will wait and David and I just kind of joke, like, David, like, Everly, just get in line. You don't have to wait for Heartland. Um, Imagine <laughs> she just does. She just has to wait yeah. for her sister. But, you know, they do do that. So they do have that twin thing. But they are pretty different in their personalities. Everly likes that constant attention. And Heartland's kind of like, I kind of like some time to myself. Now, if she doesn't see Everly for some time she's going to have some withdrawals you know but there are times that heartland's kind of just a little bit more to herself but everly she's she's always checking on heartland always she's just that's kind of cool to think about i'm not i'm not i really don't have any experience with twins in my my family um but it is kind of cool to think you got a partner in life. Yeah, no like doubt. You got, a, you got a partner in life that, man, y'all been through some stuff. So. And it's great that they have each other, too. Outside of just being twins, having having these these obstacles that they've had, like these surgeries and these kinds of things, I call it like kind of like medical management that they will always have. They have each other. They don't have to like find a support group, if you will, yeah. or another mm-hmm. kiddo like them. They have each other. And they can talk about the hard times or you know, whatever. They won't know how to spell peer pressure. <laughs> right. Right? Because they, they can just exist together. And when all of us are, are growing as young children, we're looking for who do I need to be like? And if I'm like that person, will they like me? It, when you have a little running partner, right? you're almost like you have this freedom to just be yourself because you have the reassurance of the twin helping you along. Right. And I, I, I love that because I've been through the journey with them. But I'm not, like, in the journey, if you will. I, I don't know what it's like to have have this happen or have to deal with this. I know what it's like to be on the supportive end, to be the caregiver person. But emotionally, physically, I don't know the pains that they may have. You've seen it on, on practice the other day that Heartland, she, man, she wanted to be there. She did not want to stay home. Yeah. She was in some pain, Yeah, but she wanted to go. She did. So she, even in that day, I told her just to go sit down. And she did, She wouldn't go sit down. So she stood, she sat next to me while I played catch with the girls. And it's there, She wants to be involved somehow. Yeah, there's a resilience there that, to, to just, to not step off the field. And I think not stepping off the field for them is, it really reaches through their entire life. Like their life has been, I'm going to get on this field mm-hmm. and, and I'm going to move. And it's, it's, it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch yeah. them on the field. And yep. it's even more enriching now to know the story. It's fun to see where these girls are going to go in life. And that's, yeah, because as I hear the journey, as I hear the journey now, what I hear these girls have is everything that they need to succeed keeps coming right into their lives mm-hmm. with from all the way from the four grandparents <laughs> to the having each other 
And to be in, I'll bet, the ones who came out of that dugout after that horrific Little League night that saw a mob of parents fighting each other, I, in my mind, see those two coming out of that as the most emotionally stable children that went through that event. Probably. And they probably have things like that in their life that they will overcome that challenge better than other oh, children yeah. could ever imagine. Right. And that, that's, that's a beautiful thing to go through. They, they're starting their life at the peak of Mount Everest. Like, they, they have already had an incredible journey just to show up in second grade, third grade. That's, that's All these other li- things in life have got to get turned down a little bit. Yeah. I don't think they're going to walk off that field crying because they didn't lose or that, didn't win like no. some kids are. There's an emotional resiliency that will never be taken away from In them. the universe, God, however, however you'd like to phrase it, it clearly keeps lining up for them. And that was the thing I was going to ask you. Are you now at a place they have one more, one more, one big, more surgery big surgery to go? Yep. Are you at a place now where you think, listen, I— these girls are like, there's nothing going to stop these girls. At every turn, I've thought, maybe this is where it doesn't work out. But at every turn, they push on through. Yep. I have no no hesitations about, because this surgery is just enhancing their life, if you will. It's needed because I want the best for my kids. But it got postponed. It was supposed to be this summer. But because it got postponed, there's no repercussions from it, in a sense. Like, there's no, this has to happen or bad things will happen. It's, it wasn't anything like that. So this this just will enhance their life just a little bit more. And as medicine advances or what have you, then that's been a question. There was some decisions. I never talked to y'all about this. But there was some things that the surgeons wanted us to do early on that I wasn't comfortable doing. And I just wasn't ready to do that yet because the uncertainty, right? It was, mm-hmm. it might work, it might not. So I was just like, well, until you can tell me 99% that it's going to work, I'm not putting my kid through that. So I didn't. My family kind of had their opinions about it. And I think that's the other th- thing about being a parent is just knowing you have these this world-renowned surgeon, the one that we followed to Fort Worth, saying, hey, this is, this is what I suggest recommend and suggest but being the the mom or the parent and just saying we're not ready for that so he he does that wants them to do the surgery at a year old when we go to fort worth at two and a half i still decided not to have that surgery and he came in the picky and said you've made the right decision what their body went through during this surgery it would have been so much on them mm. and I just thought, okay, see, like you you as a parent need to know your your kids' needs and what your daily life is going to look like. They want, hopefully, the best for your kid, but they don't live the life, you know. And you listen to your inner voice. Yeah. Uh, and your inner voice was strong enough to say, expert, who has performed for you? Oh, no right? doubt. An I, expert who is, he's been in your corner and, and he's done great he's things the for the children. You, ha- you went with the signal on the inside mm-hmm. that told you not right now. And at one of their last appointments, they have check-ins on their kidneys every six months. And they didn't share their kidneys, by the way, but that's just part of what we need to monitor. But I had talked about this surgery that has been brought up in the past and said, do you think that they're candidates in the future? And he said, I don't think so. And I said, well, did I make a mistake not having that surgery? And then he said, Callie, you wanted to get them to safety. You wanted to get them to where they could live their life. And that may or may not have worked he said, I've done this surgery for someone, and it took, I think he said, eight years, and it ended up not working. They tried to make the mm-hmm. result of that surgery work for eight years, and it never worked. 
And that was eight years of being uncomfortable and in pain. And I just didn't want them because you've seen them. They go out on that softball field because they can. And and that's all I could ask for is I, David and I, we've always wanted them to be able to do those things. And they're able to do those things. So now they're eight years old. Mm Mm-hmm. Eight years old. Eight years old, running around the ball field, going to school, mm-hmm. living a kiddo life. And, um, and receiving all the blessings and benefits they need in the world to right. have thriving lives. There's absolutely no need for negativity to be projected on any aspect of their past or their future. Right. Yep. It's, it's a happy ending. Yep. And that's it's incredible. But I I think we're far from the ending because oh. like, again, that's what, I, that's what I like again, about happy uni- This the, is a happy beginning over yeah. and over. The universe is. I mean, Eddie Murphy may pop pop into their life at some point in time <laughs> and call them the Golden Children. Something's going on with your kids that I think is going to be incredible to develop. And I can't believe that all that energy is centered around them. It's for them to do something great in this world. Yeah. And, and and now you get to sit back. And just kind of watch it blossom. Mm-hmm. I, I said in my book that they gave me a front row seat to see all of all of the things that they're going to do. And so I just can't wait to, to see their future tomorrow, what they're going to do, or what nonsensical thing that they're going to make fun of me for. Or <laughs> just, that's bad parenting, Yeah, Mom. they'll be teenagers someday, too. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. David they'll be and teenagers. I, David reminds me that, can you, because I'll just be like, Come get your kids. You know, they're they're typical. They're, there's nothing abnormal They'll about their personalities, their feistiness. Um, and David's, can you, we're going to have two teenagers at the same time. Yeah, parenting's one of those things. It's it's weird, but even as you get experience, it gets harder. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> because they, they get, there's more, always something, they get right? more complex. Like, you think you've got being a parent figured out. Because when you said sit back, relax, and watch, like, there's nothing about that. Uh, it just keeps changing. It's just sitting back. Yep. It just keeps changing. Yeah. It does. It does. Yep. Her concerns are going to be, they're going to be gladly welcomed relative to us going, like, what? A oh, yeah. They want to do I, 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 I have to remind myself of that. Like, there's times where I didn't think I would have to raise my voice or, ground them or whatever but man after the fact i'm like well at least i get to do that (laughs) thank goodness they spilled grape juice all over the white carpet thank goodness they drive me nuts i have one question for you and this is something that i think a lot of people that that our, our show is trying to share experiences with people and, and let everybody know they're not alone in these experiences and let everybody know that, that there's faith and there's possibility and no matter whatever your circumstance may be in your book, there was a point where you thought perhaps you had done something wrong and you suffered through the guilt of did I, what did I do to cause this? And I just wanted you to spend maybe a minute talking around those thoughts for everybody else that's in a circumstance beyond their control that is in the belief that maybe they did something wrong. Mm-hmm. I think when I got that news, I could not figure out what I did. What how did that happen to me or to to the three of us? How did this pregnancy go that way? It was explained to me how this happens. Rationally, I probably know there was nothing that I did. Emotionally, though, sometimes I still think, what did I, how did I do this? You want to, bl- you don't want to blame yourself, but you do. Well, your your As, ego gets involved. I hear your ego yes, kind of talking about yes, the situation. Because I'm the one carrying them. It's obviously my body growing them. What did my body, how did my body fail these children? And there's a lot of guilt in that. I mean, that in itself is 
my family and David, they can be worried or concerned, obviously, but they didn't, their body's not growing them. It, they, they don't, they feel that energy inside them. Yeah. And it, and nope. it's hard to, to think like, do they blame me? I, nobody's ever said that or given me a reason to think that. I'm just saying like, those are thoughts these you've are had to thoughts, navigate. Like, yeah. Do people think like, okay, did you do something crazy? Whatever it may be to cause this to happen. No, I didn't. Because rationally, it's been explained by medical professionals. Like, they just didn't split. It, it was just a quick little thing that didn't happen. That typically happens, but it didn't. And that's, that's where, why it happened. But, okay, how could I have done it differently? Those just questions are so Somehow annoying. the I, I, I yes. keeps popping back Yes. Up. And it's like, okay, somebody's at fault here. And it's obviously me because... It's my body, you know. Yeah, it's, but it's, then that's it's, you casting judgment on myself, your participant, and, yeah. and your children. Like that is saying that there is something that's gone wrong with them. And I think, as we've seen, what their story is, right? There's, there's nothing wrong that can go. I think some people are going to man, like that pity part of what I've talked about is, God, it's always going to be like that, or they're always going to have to do this. And I'm like, but they can do this, and they're going to do this, and they're going to live a great life. Because David and I and the rest of our family will make sure that they do. And they're going to make sure that they do. Because they, I tell them, you're going to have a great life. Like, there's going to be a time where you're going to want to share your story, I hope. Because you are so, you and your sister are so special and ha- can have such an impact on the world if you choose to, if you choose to do that. So. Yeah, this story definitely could be a, a story of empowerment or a victimization. And I think almost anybody can sit on that, and yours just has a little bit more volume to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, no, no. All, we all want to know why, and the experts can't help us with why. They can tell us the black and white of uh, how the cube fits in the hole or doesn't fit in the hole. They, they can tell us the anatomy, right. but they can't answer why. And, and the why is where faith has to come in. And, and even when your faith is wobbly, you just got to keep moving forward mm-hmm. and moving forward and allowing time and maybe that plan that you don't exactly understand. The You also spoke in your book, there was a moment where you were upset with God, that, mm-hmm. that his plan for you was not your plan for you. Right. And I, I think we, we a lot of us that. go through that. <laughs> we, we just wonder, why me? Why me? And and then you fast forward eight years later and you oh, got, that's you why. got two incredible girls. And that's that, why. And that's why. <laughs> and that's why. And you're not even done with the why yet. Like nope. you got years ahead of you to understand the real why. But the trend is there's something significant. And and I think that's when, when we struggle with why me, God. And you, you had a line in your in your book about Garth Brooks' song, <laughs> Unanswered Prayers. <laughs> yep. And yep. you got to be somewhat cautious when you're trying to dictate a future that maybe you don't understand. And then the guilt that you loop back to yourself when, how can you be guilty of something you don't understand? Mm-hmm. And, and I think um, your book, the, the area that I enjoyed the most was where you highlighted your emotions. And I thought that was, that was powerful. Yeah. So on the, in the book, can we tell us about where that's available? What, what you got there? Yeah. So I would love to, to be a little bit more hands-on in distributing my book. I would love to kind of develop a relationship with anybody that may feel like, hey, I am going through this hard time, I don't even care what it is, um, with parenting or whatever, and just reach out um, through email or something like that. And I would love to 
have the girls sign the book. They would love that. They've they've been asked to do that, and they just think that's the coolest thing. But kind of develop a relationship more hands-on and not just getting it on Amazon or what have you. I would just love the opportunity to to meet some families that, that may be going through a hard time or a, a mom, a pregnant mom, or just whoever. I feel like, like you said, there's ways to, to our story can impact and help other families. And that was my goal in writing the book. And I've sold copies of my book, but I've never developed relationship with someone who, like, I see firsthand that could benefit from kind of the same thoughts, the same negative thoughts that I suffered with and dealt with the depression, the guilt, the this, that. I would love the opportunity to kind of develop those kinds of relationships. And you can't get that on Amazon. That's a pretty cool approach you've put together here. So you are selling a book, but you're also extending a hand for connection. Right, right. And and for me to believe that, that you've been through all this not to help other people, clearly there's some design in here for you to help other people. That's the goal. You're that's part of somebody goal. else's village goal. that they're yeah. going to need to because get past I, the hardship. Because we were given such a village. Like, I, I need to pass that on. You yeah. know, I need to I need to, to do that as well. So and In a way that nobody else could even understand right. or have the magnitude. It's a, <laughs> yeah. it's a beautiful thing. I can't, I can't thank you enough for coming in here and I sharing enjoyed. It. I love sharing about our girls and the story that they've brought to, into our life. Um, they're just, they're and that just, speaks to your empowerment right there. You know, let me tell you one more thing that about their names real quick, because I am that name person, and then we can end on that. That David picked Everly. We say she's forever a miracle, and her middle name is Ilea, for I love you always. And Heartland's name is, I told you that I would get physically sick until I heard their heartbeat. And mm-hmm. so her name is Heartland because I just needed to hear their heartbeat. And her middle name is Amira for a miracle. So <laughs> it turned out that I loved the boys' names too. <laughs> I did. But those girl and names I have a lot of power. Was really pushing for those girls' names because that just embodied what what we felt for those girls and that's that's kind of where where those names came in was just needs to mean something and one one last thing that i wanted to know i don't know after reading your book if you if you've given yourself enough credit for the role you played because you denied statistics you denied a medical opinion and i think that also resonates with the other people that can hear this that we all at times will allow the statistics which, as I said earlier, is that's just historical math. And so when you're allowing historical math to dictate your future, you're allowing your past to dictate your future. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you denied statistics. You denied statistics long enough to bring life into the world. And, and that's a significant amount of courage that a lot of us, we can't comprehend. And so this story is about the girls, but it's also about your resiliency to keep showing up, even when it was messy, even when you needed your mom to comb your hair, mm-hmm. you kept showing up. <laughs> yep. And so you deserve a, a large round of applause as well. Oh, and, and I think that sometimes when we look back at the thoughts we may not have been proud of, we fail to, to give ourselves credit for all the good we did. And, and you, you stayed in the pocket Despite what doctors told you, despite what Google told you, yep. you kept showing up and you denied statistics and you created your own future by denying somebody else's past. Right. And I think that's a beautiful part of this story. And I, I think it's incredible that you're now reaching out to the public to allow them 
to engage with you in some of the tactics that got you through that time where you created your own future. It is good to know, based on my actions and how I felt and how David and I went through hearing that news and what could have been done to, to end that, but we persevered. And as a mom and a dad, we were going to make the decisions that we felt the most comfortable with, and that was fighting for our kids. I wouldn't have, ch- I wouldn't change it, you know. No, you made all the right I, choices. I wouldn't and change. It's beautiful you have those choices. Because even though that I had those negative thoughts, I can let somebody else know, hey, I've lived through it. Those negative thoughts are just human nature. <laughs> you got to keep moving at times. Yep. And, and that's right. Into the unknown, you, you must forge. So one last time on the book, how, how are they getting a hold of you? Okay, so it's Perez, P-E-R-E-Z dot Callie, K-H-A-L-I-E at gmail.com. And okay. yes, we'll include that on the podcast. Yeah, we'll, yeah. Put, we'll put that in the show yeah. notes. Are you on Facebook? I'm on Facebook. You can look for Heartland and Everly. Okay. All right. And it was it's yes. Callie Perez on Facebook? Yes, and I'm on Facebook as well. Great. So Great. Well, I appreciate you coming in here and telling your story because somebody's going to hear this. And, yeah. and in fact, it's probably not so. just somebody. There's yeah. probably a lot of people out there that have been through they've they're been through or going through things that you have the insight to help them with. And um I'm excited to see how this ripples out through through our audience and I can't wait to see I can't well, thank wait to hear how you help opportunity. People. Anytime I get to talk about our girls and our journey is welcomed. So I appreciate the opportunity to be your first guest and kind of blab on about about our little life, but I you, hope I hope it reaches lots and lots of people that that can benefit from our story. We would like to thank you for listening to the Feral Minds podcast. Hopefully we triggered some curiosity that will have you seeking more. Remember, your mind is meant to run. Slap some sneakers on that bad boy and take it around the block. If you'd like to connect with us or enlist our feral thoughts on a problem in your life, visit us on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or at theferalminds.com. Also remember, our thought line is always available. 24-7, we don't even allow it to sleep. And we want to hear from you. That number is 866-340-3394. Again, that number is 866-340-3394. We look forward to hearing from you.